0: Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N.
2: This is the Sean Hannity Show podcast.
3: And welcome, everybody. My name is Kirby Wolver. I'm in for Sean today. I do a morning talk show host on KVI in Seattle, Sean's affiliate. Known Sean for many years. I appreciate the opportunity to sit in front this morning or this afternoon in America. We have so much to talk about with you. In particular, John Kerry's speech this morning, in the State Department, and the American government's betrayal of our good ally Israel. We'll talk about that, but other things as well. Ann Coulter will join us later this hour. Michelle Malkin will be with us also. We're going to talk to Dr. James Mitchell, who headed the or helped form the enhanced interrogation program the CIA used to interrogate terrorists after 9/11. He's written a book called "Enhanced Interrogation." I think it's the book of the year. If you want to understand the war on terror, want to understand radical Islam, this is the book you must read. He'll be with us. He actually interrogated Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM, the mastermind behind 9-11. And what Mohammed told him will shock you. Well, maybe not, because you're in Sean's audience, so you're pretty well informed. But it would shock most people, and we'll talk about that as well. But right now, I really, really want to talk to you about John Kerry this morning, his speech, his going-away speech. Why, why is it all these... Obama people are having goodbye speeches, final speeches. They're gone. They're irrelevant. New policies are coming in less than four weeks. president Trump has a very different view of the world than Obama does, and Obama's administration does, but they keep doing these things. The, The ban on drilling offshore, the stab in the back of Israel with this refusal to veto this resolution, which we have vetoed every time it's come up in the past, And not standing by the only true ally we have in Israel, the only country in the Middle East, by the way, where Muslims have civil rights protected by law. There is not a country in the Middle East where there are civil rights, independent judiciary, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, and guaranteed rights for citizens except Israel. Where there are over a million Muslims who are citizens of Israel, or Arabs. And they have the same civil rights that are protected by the same judiciary and the same government as the Israeli citizens do. This is the one bright spot in the Middle East that's been consistently our ally, that we've been able to rely on, that we've supported, that represents the best hope for peace. That's free markets, limited government, democracy, government, that's self-government, that respects individual rights. This is the hope for peace. But apparently, John Kerry and others don't think so. They're trying to bend Israel to their will. Fortunately, they have a prime minister, and Benjamin Netanyahu, I don't think, will do that. What did Kerry say today? Well, let's go to Cut One. This is John Kerry on The Only Solution for Peace Between Israel and Palestine is Cut One.
4: Throughout his administration, President Obama has been deeply committed to Israel and its security. That commitment has guided his pursuit of peace in the Middle East. This is an issue which, all of you know, I have worked on intensively during my time as Secretary of State for one simple reason. Because the two-state solution is the only way to achieve a just and lasting peace between Israelis and Palestinians. It is the only way to ensure Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state, living in peace and security with its neighbors. It is the only way to ensure a future freedom and dignity for the Palestinian people, and it is an important way of advancing United States interests in the
3: region. All right, now a couple of things with that I'd like to point out. He, he said this is the only way to peace. I would disagree with that. Number one, I think the Israelis are the best judge of what is peace for them, and what will ensure the survival of their country. I think they should have a say in this. Number two, no significant Palestinian movement, Fatah, Hamas, any elected leaders, any leaders of Palestinian Authority, have ever granted or recognized or accepted Israel's right to exist. So you're asking Israel to lay down with people that don't believe they have a right to exist. You go into Palestinian schools, they're taught to hate Jews. You go into Palestinian media, they're taught to hate Jews. The people are presenting propaganda all the time in the form of news. There is no dissent. There's no moderate faction within the Palestinian Authority or any group that has any type of power authority within Palestinian society. They're all dedicated to the destruction of Israel. They say it all the time. They show it all the time. And yet we somehow refuse to believe them. We somehow are saying, well, gosh, you know, if we just gave them some land, then they'd be okay. They'd stop hating Jews. If we just assured them a state of their own, which, by the way, they've never had. Palestine has never been a state and is somewhat of a fiction in many people's minds. But it's never been a state. There's no, you know, Israel did not conquer Palestine. All right, the Jews have been in Israel for four to 5,000 years. And they were there even after they were driven out by the Romans. They were there during the time that the Ottoman Empire controlled them. They were there during the time that the Christians controlled part of that area during the Crusades. They were there during the time the British and the French controlled that area after World War I, after the defeat of the Ottomans. They've been there for a very long time. In fact, a friend of mine told me this uh, just last week, right before Christmas, that it's odd that we celebrate in Christmas the birth of a Jew in Bethlehem, but today Jews can't go to Bethlehem. But yet it was the Jews that were in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago was a Jew that was born in Bethlehem from Nazareth, another town close by. And yet we don't recognize that today. They couldn't go there. Bethlehem is not always safe even for Christians to go to. I was in Israel several years ago, and there are times when you can't go because it's not safe because the Palestinians don't like Christians or Jews. And it's not a a secure area for them all the time, even though it's the birthplace of Christianity. And I might suggest something that John Kerry should look at this history, because I'll take you back about 15 years, if I may, to the late 90s, when the Palestinian Authority had one of the fastest-growing economies in the world because they were working with the Israelis. The Israelis have a lot of capital. They have a high work ethic. They're extremely hard workers. And they needed labor. And so they offered Palestinians jobs. And most Palestinians are uneducated. Most of them don't make it through high school. A lot of them can't read, although there's not much to read in the Palestinian Authority except Palestinian propaganda. So the Israelis were offering them jobs to work in Israeli factories, Israeli firms, doing sometimes hard labor, sometimes just basic labor, entry-level jobs, and— Arafat, who led the Palestinians at the time, saw that that was undercutting his authority because people like Hamas and Fatah and Arafat keep power by simply playing the hate card. Hate the Jews. It's their fault. They hate you. They would kill you. We have to hate the Jews back. And as some of those Palestinians started getting jobs and started seeing their economic levels go up to middle class, and deciding that maybe the Israelis weren't all that bad because they signed paychecks, they worked for them, they provided jobs, something the Palestinian Authority can't do. Arafat called for the Intifada, specifically to interrupt the progress that was being made between the average Palestinian and the Israelis because they were working. When people are working, they get self pride and self confidence, they earn money, they make a better life for themselves. And with the Intifada, with the terror bombings and the stabbings and the attacks, the Israelis to make Israel secure had to let go a lot of Palestinian workers. They had to build security fences. They had to stop Palestinians from coming to certain parts of Israel. And that caused unrest. And, of course, Arafat went back and said, well, look, the Jews hate you. That's why they're doing this. He deliberately started a terror attack to disrupt the relationships that were building between average-day Palestinians and Israelis. That is also a course for peace. Economics, rising living standards, bringing people to the middle class, that worked at one time. The Palestinians ruined it. And even today, they refuse to recognize the right of the Israelis to exist. How can you negotiate with those people? And where is the United States putting pressure on them? Kerry mentioned the billions that are sent to Israel. What about the hundreds of millions and billions sent to the Palestinians? Without foreign money, they couldn't exist. They don't have an economy. Then Kerry said something else I found odd, and this is in cut two, where he says Israel has a choice.
4: The two-state solution is now in serious jeopardy. The truth is that trends on the ground, violence, terrorism, incitement, settlement expansion, and the seemingly endless occupation, they are combining to destroy hopes for peace on both sides and increasingly cementing an irreversible one-state reality that most people do not actually want. Today there are a number, uh, there are uh, a, a, a similar number of Jews and Palestinians living between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. They have a choice. They can choose to live together in one state or they can separate into two states. But here is a fundamental reality. If the choice is one state. Israel can either be Jewish or Democratic. It cannot be both. And it won't ever really be at peace.
3: And yet, he says they have the choice of being either Jewish or Democratic. They can be both. This goes back to the 1967 war when Israel seized the West Bank from Jordan, not from the Palestinians. Okay, Jerusalem was a divided city. West Jerusalem was under Israeli control, And East Jerusalem was under Jordanian control, the country of Jordan, the kingdom of Jordan. And Jews had no civil rights there. Holy sites were desecrated by the Arabs and Muslims. They weren't allowed to go worship. And Jerusalem has been the capital of the Jews for centuries, more than centuries, since before the time of Christ. And when the 67 war started... When the Egyptians, Jordanians, Syrians, Iraqis attacked Israel, they hit first knowing the attack was coming. And they took the West Bank as military occupation from Jordan. If that West Bank belongs to anyone, it belongs to Jordan. There is no nation of Palestine. And yet no one ever talks about giving it back to Jordan, do they? No. And now Kerry says, you have the choice, Israelis. you can be either Jewish, Democratic, can be both. Well, why not? As I mentioned before, there are a million Muslim citizens, Arab citizens of Israel, that have full civil rights. And I suspect there's a way for some of them to do that. But you can't expect to be accepted as a citizen of a country that you're not willing to concede has the right to exist. This final act by the Obama administration, like so many others, is meant to put the United States on a track that they can't reverse— He's hoping that somehow this will shake things up so that Donald Trump and the new administration cannot reverse course. But I promise you the Mad Dog Mattis and Donald Trump and the others involved in our national security policy can and will reverse this. This a temporary blow, and it shows what Obama's really about. Obama is not about protecting our values, protecting our rights, protecting this country, furthering the interests of the United States. He is all about betraying our allies. He's had it out for Israel for a long time. Yes, he has given them billions of dollars in aid. But that's a cover for what he's really trying to do, which is delegitimize the Israelis, delegitimize their government, get back in Netanyahu, compel them to accept concessions, which I remind you, the Israelis have to live with. You don't. I don't. Obama doesn't. John Kerry doesn't. I've been to Israel. It's a pretty small country. I've seen it. The Israelis have to live with these consequences. None of us do. Let's keep that in mind. We have with us Ann Coulter, good friend, best-selling author, and moderate voice among those on the right, keeping everything calm and and smooth all the time. Ann, how are you?
5: Fine, thanks. Merry Christmas, Will Kirby.
3: Merry Christmas to you. Hey, um, last last best-selling book in Trump in Trump, we trust. Still e trust Corbus him. Awesome. E Pluribus Awesome. Uh, still feeling that way? Anything that he has done might have upset you change your mind, or are you still happy?
5: Every day is like Christmas in Trump's America.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, um, as one who is skeptical uh, for a long time, I am extremely impressed with how he's conducted himself. Most of the people he's appointed, still so a few question marks, but you get that with every president. You can't, you know, the only perfect candidate is you or me, right, Ann? I mean, everybody else has flaws. Well, I um, love
5: Trump so much, I realize I'm doing what parents do with degenerate children. I keep, you know, they say, my kid's <laughs> fine. He's hanging around with a bad crowd. Um, uh, and I keep saying the same thing about Trump um, and the appointments I don't like. Oh, that's, that's a Michael Pence, uh, Mike Pence or Ryan's previous appointment. Get them out of there.
3: That's right. Get him out of there. That's right. No, it's uh, amazing. I just I wanted to uh, check in with you on a couple things. One, um, John Kerry's speech this morning and the Obama administration decided not to veto this resolution on Israel. The rumors, they collaborate with the Palestinians and the Venezuelans and the New Zealanders on doing this. Your thought, I mean, it seems like he's doing everything he can to mess things up and create problems before he leaves, like a little petulant child has been told he has to leave and doesn't want to, so he's trashing the room before he goes.
5: Um, well, as I'm saying with everything these days, Trump will fix it. I think so, too. Uh, um, and I also think, I mean, part of, part of what I loved about, about Trump and I think part of his appeal is um, that we've been caring an awful lot about the rest of the world, and that mm-hmm. seems to be the only preparation most of these Republicans went through to prepare to run for president of the United States of America, as I point right. out in my book in Trump We Trust, memorizing, you know, the geography of Syria. That was all Rubio ever wanted to talk about. And Trump, uh, I mean, it's weird that it took, it, it took so much effort. It took this massive, strong personality to, to wrest politics from caring about the rest of the world while, while our own country falls apart. I wish America had as much of a... Um, self-preservation or not, America. Obviously, it does. But I wish pundits and politicians cared as much about preserving America as, as Israel politicians do about care about preserving Israel. Well, that's what Trump Trump has given us. We want to talk about we want to talk about America for a while. And um, how about our two-state solution with Mexico? We need we need to, <laughs> we need to get back to that because. Um, yeah. Those occupied territories not occupied yeah. territories we took that land back in eighteen forty eight and we and paid them for we it we paid under them an for invasion it. now from people who who think it belongs to them
3: you know we what a lot of people don't understand is we took it in a military conflict that they started we won it militarily, and then we paid them for it. What other country in conquers other territory with their military, then pays the people that lost the territory for the stuff we took by. I mean, no other and country does that. And then aware of.
5: reinvade and pays them yes. again.
3: <laughs> Which- I did the math. I did the math. <laughs> and I figured that uh, what we paid for in 1848, plus inflation, plus the value of everything we've added, and look at San Diego, look at Tijuana, you'll understand what I mean. Look what we added and what they haven't. I figure it's around $8 trillion dollars. And if they really want California for $8 trillion, I'd I'd consider that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For $8 trillion, because we could pay off our national debt, they'd get California, and we might be better off. But anyway, no, I agree with you. This is um, Tom Cotton this morning. don't know if you saw it, but Tom Cotton had an op-ed in the New York Times. Wasn't it? Oh, my gosh.
5: This is how Trump has changed the world. This is what I always loved about Tom Cotton, by the way, when he was running for the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Um, He was one of the strongest on immigration, and that was a very impressive win. He took out a very popular democratic incumbent. Right. Um, very hard to take out incumbents and and he did. Right. In fact, That's he may right. have been the only one that year to take out an incumbent. It's, it's extremely rare. And and if you were following that campaign, he kept saying because he actually, you know, is an Arkansan and would go in and talk to the people, he said the one thing people are talking the most about is immigration. Well, you would never know that from from the pundits, from the media. Um, from the politicians themselves, so he was very good on the issue. But I happen to notice um, <laughs> that when when the U.S. Senate Republicans, led by Mitch McConnell, failed broke their promise to block Obama's executive amnesty um, after the 2014 election, that debate was going on for about in the U.S. Senate. Democrats were filibustering it, um, massively unpopular for for. Obama to to engage in this wildly right. unpopular and unconstitutional move of just saying well i don 't need congress after all i 'm just going to grant amnesty um, the, the Republicans it would have been a fantastic political issue for Republicans to run against any Democrat participating in that filibuster, but you could not get one word about it. I mean, it was like an underground railroad finding out what was happening with the filibuster. There was no mention of it in the media. And then, um, and I'm sure Tom Cotton was terrific, but, but didn't didn't see him being interviewed all over TV. Um, wow. About a week later, he wrote that letter to the Iranian mullahs, and suddenly you couldn't turn on TV without seeing Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton so, I yeah, mean, that's unfortunately, right. the rewards for politicians have always been on caring about any country other than America. Tom Cotton um, is one of the exceptions, um, even before Trump came along.
3: Yeah. And by the way, if anybody has not read it, it's New York Times today. And basically, Tom Cotton says the interests of American workers have to be the centerpiece of any immigration policy. And if business has to raise prices, increase wages and benefits, so be it because it benefits American workers. And I think he's right on on that.
5: Yeah, he's Um, fantastic. And, And, you know, once we can this is why, as I describe in 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 Trump, we trust the media say, oh, yeah, sure. We'll talk about immigration. Go ahead. Um here are the ground rules. You can't use the words illegal immigrants, amnesty, uh, sanctuary city, um, and so on and so forth. But mostly the, the, the move of, of the elites, politicians, pundits, um, media, poly, um, everyone you can hear from, um, is just don't talk about immigration because they know Sorry. it's not an argument they can win. And I think Tom Cotton's op-ed proves that. There, he, he quotes all of these. Um, you know, business restaurateurs and farmers saying, um, "No, no, we've got to have more, more, more immigrants from Mexico. We need more low-wage workers, or we can't, we can't get the work done without raising wages." And and Cotton says, "Yes, precisely."
3: That's right. We want million you to people. raise
5: wages. And this is true. I mean, it can't be done. You can't ask a restaurateur indivi- to be an individual, you know, patriot and humanitarian. It's gotta be across the board. No That's one right. gets to employ cheap foreign labor. You can't let your competitors have cheap foreign labor but 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 blame the one restaurateur or the one the one farmer. That's why we needed a president like Trump to come along and say No, we're cutting off the spigot of cheap foreign labor so that you will have to hire Americans and, yep, raise their wages.
3: Ninety-four million Americans out of the workforce, that's the way to bring them back in. Incidentally, you will often
5: hear – I'll I'll make the argument against myself and then respond to it. You will often hear in this context about how um, prices will go up and, oh, yes, well, an iPhone will cost um, $800 million unless we can have um, the Chinese build it for us. Um, at least in agriculture, and I suspect this is true in many other fields, the cost of labor is a tiny, tiny portion of the overall cost of the end product. Um, I mean, looking, for example, just at agriculture, it's fertilizer, it's machines, it's line, um, land, it's trucks, um, it's, it's the seeds and the plants, and the ultimate labor cost of any banana you buy or, or, or whatever, um, your cabbage or strawberry, the labor cost is only about 11% of the total cost. So prices aren't even going to go up that much. It's just plutocrats and the employers have gotten fat and lazy, and it's easier to employ tractable employees.
3: You won that argument, Ann. That was great. You argued with yourself, <laughs> and you won. So do that more often. Um, switching to topics just a minute. I'm wondering, if you did you read what Harry Reid said in New York Magazine? He was interviewed. No, he was but I'd probably
5: love to hear this.
3: He was asked if he would support Joe Biden, who'd been thinking about running for president in 2020. He was asked, would you support him? He said, quote, it depends on who's running. It appears we're going to have an old folks home. We've got Warren. She'll be 71. Biden will be 78. Bernie will be 79. So he basically said they've got an old folks home with the future of the Democratic Party. They don't have anybody under 70. And Hillary, of course, would be 73 if she wanted to run again. And I just thought that was somewhat of an odd admission from Reid, who's such a partisan, that their bench is all on Medicaid or Medicare. It is
5: very striking how old the Democratic leadership is. Um, you know, it's funny how they they boast and and sneer about their very diverse, their diverse party, and we're so diverse. Um,
6: yeah.
5: Well, they're not very diverse at the top, Uh and, and, no, I think, I think this is going to be it for, for the white Democrats. Um, if if, if Obama-Hillary has taught them anything, it's you better run a minority next time.
3: Well, I'm off for Keith Ellison, chairman of the Democratic National Committee. I've started a committee. I'd like to ask you to join conservatives to support Ellison for chairman of the DNC, because I think you'd <laughs> well, make a great choice.
5: He has a completely insane background.
3: Yes, he,
0: does. Um, he
5: was a member of, I'm, I'm sure you know more details about this than I do, he was a member of, of Farrakhan's group. But I will say he's, he's, he's charismatic and charming, and you don't really find much of that in the Democratic right. Party these
3: days. That's true. That's true. That is a plus. But I'm, I'm hoping they keep moving left and don't learn the lessons from this one. Um, let me ask, before we have to let you go, let me ask, what's up next for Ann Coulter? What's your next book? Do you have one oh, geez, planned?
5: Can't I rest? I've
3: no, two and in a you row. are an essential voice. We need I you out there.
5: Wait a year and mull things over for a while. All right. So you uh, got but ten it was months an emergency to get Trump elected.
3: That's right. You got ten months, right? Because the election was no, a month I ago in the book. It, I, I think that "In Trump We Trust" is still the book of, of, of last year,
5: this year, next year. Um, it's okay. fun, it's short, and explains everything that happens so much better than people who will be rushing in after the election to tell you how it happened. I said it before it happened.
3: It is amazing, the flood of people with excuses and explanations. And now, you know, the Russians said uh, YouGov, YouGov, Yeah, YouGov took a poll that was reported to off 52% of Democrats polled act, actually believe the Russians hacked the numbers, not just false information this information they hacked the numbers manipulated the numbers 52% of democrats believe they actually manipulated the numbers so Trump would win. Well,
5: I love that the Democrats and the left have gotten so hot and bothered by the Ru- the russkis now. We couldn't yeah. really use them back during the Cold War. Yes, we could have. When couldn't Russia we have? was, you know, when they were killing Americans in Vietnam, when you had the Stalin show trials, when the, they're forcing Hungarians to eat their shoes and and starving yeah. Ukrainians to death, oh, no, they were all for the Ru- Ruskis back then.
3: Oh, yeah. Now remember, people
5: let gays march down, you know, Moscow Square, and and oh, they don't get on the fighting side of the left on that.
3: And remember, remember, Romney was calling the '80s. You know, they wanted their foreign policy back because Romney just didn't understand all this. And I love seeing, yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch. It's what a business to be in. Ann Coulter, thank you, my dear. I greatly appreciate being on, and I hope we get a chance to cross paths. I hope to see you at CPAC. It's been a while.
5: Yes, perhaps now that Trump has won, Trump and I will not have to boycott this year.
3: <laughs> I hope not. I want to see you there. And thank you. Thanks for everything you do. Good to talk to you, Kirby. Right, thanks so much, Ann. Have a great day. And welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Kirby Wilbertson, in for Sean today, I have a talk show on radio station 570 KBI in Seattle. And appreciate Sean uh, allowing me this opportunity. We have a couple of special guests here on the show um billy and karen vaughn are what sean would say they're great americans i actually met them on the sean Hannity show several years ago i was filling in for sean and became acquainted with them and and what they do and um i believe in their cause i believe in what they do and i wanted to have them on the show to talk and billy and karen how are you guys doing
7: doing fine kirby how are you
3: you i'm doing well thanks oh it's good to talk to you guys again um for those of you who may not know, Karen and Billy Vaughn uh, had a son, Aaron, who was a Navy SEAL, was killed in action in Afghanistan, August sixth, two 2011. And there's a whole story behind that, which we will get to in a moment. But as part of their response to the death of their son in the service of our country, they established a foundation called Operation 300. And I think it's truly, really, really cause. And I'd like either one of you to uh, tell us what Operation 300 is, what you do for the kids whose dads are killed in the war against terror and don't come home.
7: Karen?
8: Okay. Okay. You know, Kirby, it's, what happened is Aaron left behind two small children when he didn't come home on that last appointment. Uh, a son who was almost two years old and a little girl who was only nine weeks old. And in the aftermath of his death, his wife, his widow, um, just kept saying this one thing that really got under our skin as a family, and um, she just kept saying, "Who's going to teach my children to do the things their father would have taught them?" And mm-hmm. it, and it broke our hearts. And our our oldest daughter Tara, she was extraordinarily close to her brother Aaron, and um, she just had been wanting ever since his death. She's been trying to figure out some way to honor his life and to honor his memory. And in listening to Kimberly say that over and over again, she finally, you know, just decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to host a camp for kids who have lost their fathers. Great, you know, patriotic, um, you know, good men that are father-aged males. We can pair them up with these kids who have lost their dad and let them go out and do those things that their father would have taught them to do or would have done with them. And that's the, that's the basis of the entire process and it ended up being so much more than we could have ever anticipated. In addition to these kids coming in for a weekend once a year, um, to, to work with these male mentors and just have a, a great time. It's not a grief camp. It's nothing like that. There's no counselors. This is just sheer fun and sheer activity from the time they, they hit, our, hit our campground till the time they leave. In addition to that, we bring their mothers in, and we put them up in a relaxing atmosphere down in West Palm Beach and let them hang with other women who are experiencing the same life change that they've experienced. And the whole thing has just been an extraordinary adventure for our family, and, and we're so honored to be part of it.
3: Well so hey, Kirby, the moms Kirby, get spent yeah go ahead Kirby,
7: l- yeah, let go me ahead. say that we have 6 camps a year we have 6 camps a year we have over 250 kids on our on our uh, roster now and plus their moms and uh, we already have 6 camps scheduled for this next year the camps wow. the camps in January and in March are already maxed out and uh, you know it's just because people like you and and uh, other patriotic americans you know help us and make us make it able where we can do these things you know
3: now so the moms get to spend some time with other moms so they can you know be with people just like them who've mm-hmm. gone through what they've gone through and the kids do sports archery outdoor activities with their male mentors at the camp is that a fair way to put it
7: they they do much more than sports they they do okay. things like karen said it would be hard to do with their dads they, they do shooting okay uh palm beach county sheriff's department comes up and and they've got an n r a instructor they do competition shooting they do competition archery they do horse riding they they go we live on the east coast of florida they they go sailing uh they go fishing you know and uh build campfires and you know things things like that you know that that men do that dads do and obviously the, you know the daughters the little girls and the boys both you know are left without a father so they're able to do this as Karen said with a with a mentor uh, somewhere around the age that their dad would have been.
3: Right. Now, um, you guys do this through your own resources and any money you're able to raise. I know you have an auction every year because I had the honor of of emceeing that auction a couple years ago. And so you rely really on on donations from private parties and basically what you raise at the auction and then whatever you can afford to put in on your own. Is that fair? That's fair. That's absolutely Okay, that's what you Yeah, that's exactly
8: right. Okay well, I had one more thing about so I had one more thing before we go to that next phase. You of know, course. the 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 one thing that that I wanted to say is we have all these activities planned for the kids, but I want to tell you the most life-altering part of the camp is the bond that they form with these with these men. Okay. Uh, you know, we have kids that literally come to camp now and run to their mentors arms and I'm not talking about just 7 and 8 year olds. I'm talking about 12 and 13 year olds sure. who who are just just pumping at the bit to get to camp and see their mentor again. We've got mentors that are staying in touch with their kids all throughout the year. You know, they're checking up on them with their sports activities. And, you know, if mom's having problems, she's calling these male mentors and they're 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 making a huge difference in these young men's lives, you know, and they're changing each other's lives, you know, because it goes both ways. The the mentors are just as moved by these relationships with these young these young men and young women. And and so that, that part is really important, too, and, and also just beyond the activities. It's the time, probably the most crucial thing is the time that they spend with the mentors when it's, you know, when it's dark outside and they're sitting around a campfire and those kids just to ha- get to hang around with men and see how yep. men interact and yep. something they're just, you know, not, not ever, they don't ever have the opportunity to be exposed to. So every aspect of it has just been a, a beautiful, beautiful thing.
3: And this is this is really vital because young, young boys and young men need adult men to be mentors. They need to learn how to be a man by how the men in their life act. That's the, I think, primary purpose of a father is to show a young man how to be a man, to bring them into manhood, how to right. treat other people, how to treat women, how to conduct yourself in a group, how to play sports, how to all the skilled things you need to know. This is vitally important. And these young kids, these young children have had their fathers taken away because their fathers served their country. They protected us. They served us. They sacrificed for us. And now what you're doing, what I what I love so much, what would you do, what I support what you do, is you're trying to make sure that these kids aren't left in that they have the mentorship and the guidance they need to be young men like their fathers, men of quality and conviction and courage, the kind of men we need in this country. And I think that's really important exactly. what you guys do. Now, for those who are listening... The website's Operation300.com, Operation300.com. I would urge you to donate whatever you can. I know Christmas was last week. You might not have a lot, but this is what the bonds do and the idea they came up with to support the families who have lost a father fighting for you over in Iraq, Afghanistan, and probably in some places we can't really know, you know? Um, some places we're not told about because we don't need to know. Um, and so these young kids, these young men and young women, really need positive male role models. So I'd like to ask you, Operation300.com, please donate. And you you guys have three specific needs I wanted to talk about today. If people want to help in a specific way or just generally contribute. But you have three specific needs you're looking for right now for the camp, right? That's
8: correct.
7: That's, that's for, correct. That's correct. For... Um, yeah, we have a... Uh... We we have a tab there for land. We're actually trying to buy our own land, and uh, we've got a fund set aside for that. we've had some some donations made specifically toward the land. We're about fifteen okay. percent to where we need to be to purchase you know the land that we want to purchase in South Florida. And then we need to uh, also we need to add another trailer. Uh, we're just you know we we're we're growing we're mm-hmm. and uh, and everything we need to add, add another trailer to carry our stuff in. We. Tara and I have already been pricing, been talking about what we need and everything, so we've got a tab for that. And then also, uh, in the summertime, the kids stay in RVs, and we, we have one that was uh, donated to us in travel trailers. We have one that was donated to Operation 300 a couple of years ago, and then we 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 rent the rest of them for the weekend. And so if we could, when we could, we'd like to you know purchase another one or two. Now, usually during the winter, you know, we don't have much rain in Florida and the kids stay yeah. in tents, uh, you know, out at the place uh that we use for the camp. But in summer we have a lot of rain and it's hot yeah. and everything, so usually we put them up in travel trailers. So that's the third need there, Kirby camp. Okay.
3: Well I'm hoping that somewhere out there in Sean's audience there is a dealer in the southeast, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, who maybe can see that this is a this is a this is a great great opportunity might be willing to offer to donate maybe a trailer or donate a a camper. Um, And maybe there's a landowner out there who's got some land that maybe they don't need so much anymore uh, that maybe they can donate. But if that doesn't happen, anyone listening can go to Operation300.com, and they have three tabs there. They have a tab if you want to donate toward a trailer, toward new land, or toward a camper. And I've met the Vaughns. In fact, we met on Sean show. We did Sean show a couple years ago about this time Mm -hmm. of year. And then uh, I moved to uh, Virginia and uh, actually ran into you guys at Virginia Beach yeah. uh, at That's the right. air show. Mm-hmm. And then I came down and did your auction that year. And I, I, you guys are so impressive. And I, I love you so much for what you've done. Um, I, I wear a bracelet with Aaron's name on my wrist now. And every well, no, chance you, I sir. get, I talk up Operation 300 because what mm-hmm. you're doing, these young men need this so much. The absence of their father, especially the quickness suddenness with which mm-hmm. their father goes, I mean the father one day is deployed can't tell her ongoing son, but I'll be home, and then the father never comes home and there's this incredible gap that the kids need filled by a positive male role model, and you guys provide mm-hmm. that it's so good, so great
8: world well, and we're so grateful for all the help you you've given Operation three hundred and just who you are as a person I thank God for for people like you and for Sean and Lauren and Linda there in the studio you know people who are just patriots and come alongside real honest needs and and you know take up the challenge and get things done and that's who you are and, and we're just thankful Thanks. to God for you.
3: Well, uh, I want everything we Kirby, can help.
7: Yeah. Yeah, Kirby let me ahead say ahead. one other thing. We don't we sure. don't what we don't have a tab on there for is for bringing you know the children to camp and as best as we can figure it takes about $1200 to bring a ki- a kid to camp. Excuse me. And that, and and the reason why it's hard to figure is because obviously kids come from Florida and they do. It doesn't cost much to get them and and their mom there. But we've had kids come from Alaska. We've had them come from Washington state. We've had them come from all over the country. And just because they may be in Alaska or Washington state or Idaho or California, we, we do not like put them at the bottom of the list because it costs more to bring them. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, those are very expensive compared to florida you know and uh, so we bring them from all over the country and like i said best estimate is it takes about twelve hundred dollars to sponsor a kid and and so there there's you know there there are lots of expenses that 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 was just three tabs that we put on there right and uh you know any anyway that's all i'm trying to say And no i think, bring, no, I think that's, and if you
8: if you want to yeah. if you want to give to that you can just hit the normal donate to, tab anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you can go to to the general needs yeah
3: Right. No, and provide that. And, you guys, I'm I'm sending you money today. I'm going to send you 100 bucks today, um, and Thank I'll send more in the future. And I hope that our listeners, I look, I know you're all tapped out over Christmas, but you can also order, by the way, they have T-shirts and bracelets you can order as well. If you want to help advertise, promote Operation 300, if you want something to show your support for money, you can do that. They've got a list of their partners. There are two people like Chick-fil-A. And firefighters organizations, concerned veterans for America, a lot of groups support them. And it would just be really nice if all of you in the audience would step forth help the Vaughns. And if we had more time, you guys, I would um have you tell Aaron's story. But I will let you all know that Billy um wrote a book called Betrayed. The shocking true story of extortion seventeen is told by Navy SEAL's father. It's quite a story about Aaron. He was a great man and what happened to him. Uh, was a travesty, if not worse, and Billy wrote about in the book. And you should pick up a copy of the book, Betrayed, and understand a little bit more about the Obama administration. I think you've read that book than you do just by reading newspapers and listening to talk radio. And uh, you guys, I please stay in touch and let me know what's going on. I want to help every way I can, and uh, I'd love to come back to the auction. I'd love to come and spend some money. I know it's really hot yeah. and humid down there. You know,
7: <laughs> yeah.
3: It was Thank really you, hot sir. that night. Uh, it but was, I to, yeah. you know, Go up to see the Seal Museum again, which I had a great time at, by the way, and come back and help. So please stay in touch, and uh, we'll do everything yeah. we can to help. And God bless you all for what you do.
7: Thank you. you. Y'all have a happy new, new year.
3: You too. All right, Operation Three Hundred folks, if you want to help the Vons and what they do by providing these experiences for uh, the sons and of those men who don't come back, the ones that fight and die for you. It's all too easy to honor them, and after they're buried, they've got families and other needs out there, and those kids need some positive male role models. Operation 300 does that, and uh, I'm so impressed with what they've done, and they're devoted to this. This is is their mission in life, and so if you could help, please, Operation300.com. Help them out specifically for a trailer, camper, land, or just general donation to help them out with what they do. Well, we've heard a lot about supposed hate crimes against Muslim students. And we've heard about, you know, uh, Trump supporters starting to burn them and steal their hijabs. And a lot of these stories turn out to be false and fake. In fact, we have two here in Seattle that we have serious questions about because there are no witnesses and the police can come up with nothing. And if it's a pattern of stories like those in Ann Arbor. But this is a hate crime that wasn't fake talk to Cassie Dillon. Cassie is a reporter for Campus Reform. She has a story of a young woman who goes to Bryn Mawr College who made a mistake of letting people know that she s- supported Donald Trump. Cassie, how are you?
9: Good. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us today.
9: having so. me about
3: Andy Moritz.
9: So Andy Moritz was a freshman at Bryn Mawr and she actually just dropped out because fellow students found out she supported Donald Trump and they started harassing her, and one student even threatened her, off, or saying she was going to give her the hands if she ever speaks out with her opinions in public.
3: Really? Now, Andy let everyone know because she went to a ride share board saying that she was driving to see a Trump rally. Did anyone else want to go with her? And this is how it became public that she was a Trump supporter, right? Well,
9: what she did was she posted looking for another student to come with her because she was going to a canvassing event for Donald Trump. And the person who was driving the car with her was a male. So she wanted a female mm. to go with her. Uh, okay. Mars and all-girls school. And right. so she wanted a female to go with her to make her feel safe. And instead of making her feel safe, these students started making her feel unsafe by threatening her and eventually pushing her out of the school.
3: I'm just curious. Did she ever get any Trump supporter to respond to the app?
9: Absolutely none. She, told so she me she was, was only Yeah. She told me there was only two students on campus who were conservatives. And they weren't Donald Trump supporters. But they were too even afraid to say they were conservative.
3: Wow. Now, what, she got threatened with a hand. What kind of response did she give her some of the others? Why was it so bad that she felt she had to leave the school?
9: Well, a lot of the people that were harassing her, they they've been in classes with her. They were overwhelming her on social media. And she was trying to get through this, and she went to talk to the counselor at her school. The counselor wasn't helpful. There was a peer mentor. The peer mentor wasn't helpful. And then she got to the dean and told the dean she wanted to have a forum so she could talk about Trump and address the issues of the other students. And it didn't end up happening. And she just decided that why would she spend money to stay at a school that doesn't support her?
3: So she got hassled by the students. She got no support from the administration. Nobody said, don't worry, we'll protect you, Andy, and your First Amendment rights. You have the right to your opinion. There was no support from anybody, and so she was alone, and so she left school.
9: Exactly. And the school even put out a statement saying these things happen because we have free speech. That was something that they actually put out and they condemned the things that happened to her. But that was the first thing they said. It wasn't this shouldn't be happening. We should be supporting her. It was this happens when there's free speech.
3: So they condemned it, but said, hey, this stuff happens. This is free speech. But it isn't what happens with free speech. Free speech implies a certain amount of respect and certain rules, and when you threaten people physically, that seems to be kind of a violation of the rules.
9: Exactly, and it's so unfortunate this happens. Because at the Leadership Institute's campus reform, we talk about uh, things that happen to conservative students on campus, and conservatives, right. typically, we aren't so open on campus. We kind of just want to get grades, be under the radar, graduate, and then focus on politics. So right. it's really hard when you have a student coming out like this and getting harassed.
3: No, trust me. I, I was on campus you know, a long time ago. It was the same thing. It's been the same thing for a long time. If you speak out, you have the possibility of being having a professor take uh, you know get even with you with your grade. Uh, you get harassed by other students. You well, if you went to the University of Missouri and you were a reporter, you got threatened with physical violence just for being at an event to uh, you know to report on. In fact, you got threatened by a faculty member at the University of Missouri. So. Things are not good for students who want to be public about their political viewpoints if they're right of center.
9: Exactly. And I'm a student at Mount Holyoke College, which is a sister school of her school. So this really hit home for me. And people in my school know I'm a Trump supporter, and I've been getting all sorts of disgusting messages and harassment to me and my friends. It's just completely ridiculous. What happened to this little
3: discourse? Have you gotten anyone in Mount Holyoke to say, I'm with you? Cassie, or you're doing the right thing, or I'll support you or defend you, or have you gotten any kind of help from the administration or other students?
9: Well, I actually had a few professors that came out in support of me so much that they pressured the school to feature me on the website with an article that just interviews me and talks about my my views. And students are actually now trying to lobby the president's office to get the, the article taken down because apparently it gives a platform for bigotry.
3: Really? Bigotry? Because you support Trump, so you must be a bigot.
9: Exactly. And this article doesn't even mention Trump's name. It has nothing controversial. It just says I have different views, and it talks about me as a person.
3: Well, you know, conservatives are bigots, don't you know that, Cassie? I mean, we all hate other people for whatever reasons. We hate Muslims and blacks and Hispanics. We hate women. You hate women. You can't be a woman and a conservative because I'm a a self-hating
9: woman, according to these people.
3: That's right. You know, and and, (laughs) yeah, I mean, gosh. Well, life on campus. So what what's Andy doing? If, if you can say, I know you interviewed her. We tried to get her on the show, but she was a little shy. And I can understand that. You were a freshman in college, for goodness sake. You're going education, and this is what you face. Uh, do you have an idea what she's up to now? She transferred to another school. Is she intimidated and not going to speak out again? Uh, where is she?
9: Well, I think you touch a good point, saying She's shy. She's a freshman, so it's really hard to do that. I'm right. a junior. It took me a little while to find my voice.
3: Right now, <laughs> Your skin's right now, thicker. Yes, your skin's <laughs> yes, thicker. Yes.
9: As you get that's older, it right. gets thicker. But yeah, Andy's right. actually really enjoying her job right now. She's working at an animal hospital, and she just kind of wants to take a break from it and settle back into it because this got so bad. where She actually called the suicide hotline, and she's been very open about this.
3: She called suicide hotline? She
9: called wow. the suicide hotline because she couldn't find anyone to help and talk to her in the university.
3: Wow. Well, hopefully she has your number now. And yes, I'm you certainly going to be number. here for her support system. <laughs> can give her our number if she needs it. So, by all means. All right, well, tell us um, quickly about LI Campus Reform. There's a website our listeners could go to if they wanted more information or wanted to follow up on what you guys do.
9: Of course. The Leadership Institute's Campus Reform is great. You can go to campusreform.org and see all sorts of liberal lunacy going on on campus.
3: <sighs> there is so much of it out there. I don't know how you guys have enough storage space for all the stories. So, all right, Cassie Dillon, hey, listen, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for telling us about Andy's story and keep it up out there, all right? Stand tall, we're right, and truth will prevail. Truth always wins in the end. Thank you. All right, you have a great day. Thank you, Cassie Dillon, for campus reform about Andy Morts. Can you imagine that? A young freshman simply wants somebody else to ride with her to a Trump rally, puts it on a rideshare board, and gets harassed out of school. So tolerant the left is you want to join us, by the way, why don't you give us a call, 1-800-941-SEAN, 1-800-941-SEAN. Kirby Wilber, and for Sean, we'll be right back. And welcome back, everybody, to the Sean Hannity Show. This is Kirby Wilber saying, for Sean, I do a morning talk show on KBI Seattle, Sean's affiliate here in Seattle, America's original conservative talk station, by the way. Thank you all for tuning in. Lots to do this hour. We've got Michelle Malkin coming up. We've got... Uh, Dr. Mitchell, the man that helped found the Enhanced Interrogation Program, who's written a book on that and his dealings with Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and other Islamic terrorists, I do want to bring you one update, though. I want to. We talked to you the Vaughns from Operation 300 last hour. Operation 300 is a foundation they've set up that helps provide positive male mentors and role models for young boys and girls whose fathers have not come back from the war on terror, who've been killed in action. They set up summer camps, and then they do some things for the moms. We had them on. They've raised over $5,000 so far from all of you, which isn't bad for the week between Christmas and New Year's. I thank you all for that. They've also got some specific uh, inquiries about specific needs they have, like a trailer, a camper, and some land. If you go to Operation300.com, Operation300, the the letters, Operation, the numbers, 300, Operation300.com. You can donate there. They've got a couple of tabs. Uh, It's a worthy cause. I've known the Vons for years. I met them on the Sean Hannity Show, actually. And if you'd like to check them out, if you could please donate, please do, and help them out if you can. Our next guest is someone I've known for a very long time consider a very good friend. In fact, I got to see her just a couple weeks ago here in Seattle. Michelle Malkin, who is a best-selling author. She's a social media giant and innovator, entrepreneur, now with Conservative Review. Michelle, how are you?
6: Good. Happy New Year! A little bit early related Christmas to you. Thank Kirby. you.
3: It was great Christmas. I feel like I just saw you yesterday. You were just here in Seattle, so
6: yeah. Now we get to that was, again. That was my early early Christmas treat. It was there great to see so many old friends and and new viewers for CRTV. And thank you for it's your help with that. It was a fantastic oh, you event.
3: You bet. Whatever I can do to help you. Um, I want to talk about CRTV in just a minute, but first I thought I'd just ask. Your thoughts on a couple of issues confront us today, especially the John Kerry speech telling Israel that they either have to be Jewish or democratic and they have to accept the solution and we know what's better for you and this is what you have to face. Your thoughts on what the Obama administration is doing to someone I think is probably our best ally in the Middle East right now.
6: Yeah, I guess they had to get one last backstab in before the close of this uh, awful administration and the close of this year, it, it, it is uh, it is astounding, Kirby, that the words of John Kerry um, were written by somebody and, and uttered by him, no American administration has done more for Israel's security than Barack Obama's.
3: I, I want to throw up.
6: The bubble of unreality that these people have inhabited has been unpenetrated, even after this past election. And thank goodness we will have somebody in office um, come 2017 who understands, appreciates, and embraces Israel as America's strongest ally.
3: That's right. Uh, Absolutely. And it seems the most futile for what the Obama administration is doing because what they're doing is going to be upended in less than a month. And it just seems yes. to me that uh, is this their like their last stab, the last dig? Because in, in 25 days, President Trump can reverse all of this if he so desires, and I think he will, because he understands Israel and how close they are to us and our, our ally. I don't understand the futility of it.
6: Yeah, well, there's been a state of these kinds of actions, uh, whether it was the Um, oil drilling ban uh, last minute that that Obama's pretending is somehow permanent, Um, the emptying of Guantanamo Bay um, to the extent that they can do that, Um, all of the uh, clemencies and pardons. Wow. I mean, can you imagine, Kirby, uh, if if they're vetting these pardons the way that they vet refugees coming into this country? We're we're in for a whole lot of pain in in the coming years. That's right. Um, and, so, and so what is what is the motive here? What is the purpose? I think in large part it just might be their, their sort of uh, final kiss-off and and their indulgence of uh, the far-left progressive wing of the Democratic Party that they've pretended to, um, you know, sort of keep at Arms Bay but, you know, are, are returning to in, in these last
3: days. That's right. You know, Michelle, lately the big talk has been fake news. And... <laughs> It would, which amazes me because there's nothing fakier than New York Times, you know. All the news is fit to print, embellished with a pinky's tint, as it was called once by Tony <laughs> Dolan, who wrote speeches to President Reagan. And you see the fake, you know, hands up, don't shoot. That whole false story, the fake hate crimes against Muslim women on campuses over and over and over again being shown to be false. We've got two here in, in Seattle, the UW and UW Bothell that so far have turned up no witnesses, no evidence, no nothing supposedly happening. And yet it seems they're all focuses on obscure websites that print stories that we are obviously not true, but somehow they think influenced the election. Your thoughts on what they're trying to do with all this?
6: Yeah, well, it is the, it is naked agenda journalism um, posing as you know neutrality and. Uh, professional um, journalism, when in fact these people are, are every bit as um, opportunists and uh, you know political strategists and political operatives as as any far less faroist propagandists out there, and um, I, I think that's that's really good to compare Kirby. You know your your run of the mill Sony. Bakers, teenagers in Macedonia versus these people who have minted journalism degrees from That's right. uh, the Columbia Journalism School um, who are as much of, you know, as, as big as per- fake news purveyors out there. And, and, you know, this is why their, their profits are going down and their, their uh, subscription rates are, are plummeting and why, you know, talk radio has been as ascendant as ever and, you know, you're certainly a testimony, a testimony to that, well, um, the longevity and the relevance and the importance of alternative media.
3: And speaking of alternative media, you're with Conservative Review now, and you've got Conservative Review TV. You've got a new show, Michelle Malkin Investigates. Tell us about it.
6: Yeah. So um, I've been on tour. Um, we talked about the, being in Seattle. We did a you know four or five, six city tour over the last couple of weeks we're getting great reception to what we're doing at crtv.com and i'm having more fun than ever i've ever had i'm doing stories that i've always wanted to plunge more in depth in and uh, it's a subscription service you can go to crtv.com right now i've got four full-length episodes um, on some of the most important work i've ever done in my career kirby Um, on the effect of Black Lives Matter curriculum in the schools that's being subsidized. We feature Sheriff David Clark uh, talking about how poisonous this anti-cop demagoguery is and how it's brainwashing our kids' minds. Um, I've been a long piece um, where we investigate all across the country uh, the impact that a citizenship for sale racket is having on, in large part, rural communities, but also in places like Seattle, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, New York, where we're essentially inviting wealthy Chinese investors to come in here, promise to create uh, a measly 10 jobs in exchange for eventual citizenship for themselves and their entire families. And of course, right. it's become a huge boondoggle. And then a really important story that I'm, I'm doing, Kirby, on a former Oklahoma City police officer named Daniel Holtzclaw who was railroaded by the social justice mob, by many accusers who've been held up now as heroes by the Black Lives Matter movement, even though none of their testimony makes sense, and a lot of them were caught outright lying.
3: And i got to tell you, Michelle, we saw the um, the preview of that at your appearance here in Seattle, and I've got to tell you, I think, um, I think it's very important what you're doing. I know this. If I was a bad guy, I would not want Michelle Malkin on my tail. I would not want Michelle Malkin investigating me, okay? I also know if if I was framed like this Oklahoma City police officer obviously was, I'd want you on my side. And no, good, I thought it was great job. I mean, I've known you for, gosh, you. 25 years almost, and you're doing a great job. How can people subscribe to CRTV? Because this is, in my book, this is must-see TV. This is better than Game of Thrones. This is better than most everything else on TV except maybe Occupied Oh, which wow. Is, if you haven't seen, you should see Occupied. It's about wow. a Soviet occupation right. of Norway. It's great. <laughs> um, but, no, seriously, uh, how do people subscribe? How do they get to view Michelle Malkin TV? I, uh, Michelle Malkin Investigates.
6: So Michelle Malkin Investigates is available at CRTV.com. You subscribe, and we've got a number of holiday specials still going on. If you use the promo code Malkin, which is my last name, Um, You can get a discount um, for a yearly subscription. You also can just try out and look at the free promo clips that we have, along with all of the other amazing products that we have um, on the channel, including uh, our friend Mark Levin's daily TV show. Uh, Mark Stein will have a daily TV show and has a Christmas special that's available for viewing right now. And then Steven Crowder, a young social media pioneer. And um, I've got a number of shows that we're working on, Dynamite shows that we're working on right now. And it'll be 13 total episodes that you'll be able to watch, just like, you know, a Netflix original TV series.
3: I love it. I got to say binge watching is great. I've seen it, folks. I know, Michelle, I can heartily recommend this. CRTV.com. You will not be disappointed. You'll be better informed than your neighbors. You won't be getting fake news. You'll be getting real news. In fact, oftentimes real news, the media is afraid to touch and afraid to deal with because it kind of upsets their narrative. And we know with the mainstream media, it's the narrative that counts, not the facts, not the truth. It's does the story fit the narrative? How do we make it? So, and Michelle's fighting that. She's worthy of your support. Michelle, again, hey, thanks for being with us. Thanks for coming out of Seattle. I hope to see you at CPAC. We're coming back CPAC broadcast hope you're there we get a chance to cross paths again
6: absolutely and there'll be a lot to celebrate so hope to see you in the new year kirby thanks so
3: much thanks michelle you're the best thanks so much have a good day all right michelle malkin check it out Crtv, conservative review tv crtv.com coming up uh, you want to join us 1-800-941-SEAN 1-800-941-SEAN i want to talk a little bit about football coming back for all you folks down in alabama I want to talk about the Washington Huskies. A little game coming up this Saturday. And we've got a special guest, Dr. Jim Mitchell, who uh, came up with the uh, Enhanced Interrogation pro- Program. He actually interrogated Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, KSM, the mastermind behind 9 11. Fascinating book, a must read for all of you. That's coming up soon. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. Kirby Wilberin for Sean today. Before I get to our guest, something very quick, I want to mention I'm, a, uh, I'm in Seattle. I'm a graduate of the University of Washington. I'm very proud of my school. I got a good education there. That was way before it cost so much money. But I got a good education there. And as you may know, the University of Washington Huskies, fourth-ranked team in the country, facing Alabama Saturday in the Peach Bowl for the national championship. It's the semifinals. No one gives the Huskies much of a chance. I think we'll surprise some people. I'll just put it that way. But I saw on Twitter the other day that somebody in Alabama was betting $100 in giving – the Huskies in 40 points. If there's anyone out there who is willing to bet me any amount of money and give me 40 points on the Huskies, please call Lauren right now, one 800 941 Sean because I want that before you guys change your mind. Because if you really think Alabama is going to be the Huskies by 40 points, you're as delusional as Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. So please, if you're giving those odds, please call Aaron, uh, Lauren. Let her know, one 800 941 Sean I will take the Huskies in 40 points for whatever amount of money you want to bet. Sorry, I had to get out of my system. Dr. James Mitchell is a former psychologist, worked for the CIA, and helped develop the Enhanced Interrogation Program, which was used after 9-11 to interrogate the radical Islamic terrorists that we were capturing around the world to try and find out whether the plots, what else was going on, what they have in mind. And he's written a new book just out called Enhanced Interrogation, Inside the Minds and Motives of the Islamic Terrorists Trying to Destroy America. I think it's the book of the year that you have to read if you want to understand what goes on in the minds of these people, understand the challenge and threats we're up against. You've got to read this book, Enhanced Interrogation. And he joins us now. Jim, thanks so much for being with us today.
2: No, thank you very much.
3: How, Very briefly, kind of elevator speech. How did you get involved in the Enhanced Interrogation program and help devise it after 9-11? I had a
2: personal services contract with the CIA, and Mm -hmm. uh, they had asked me to interview a captured al-Qaeda resistance to interrogation manual because I had a strong background in uh, uh, resistance to interrogation.
7: Mm -hmm. And
2: so they deployed me with the first interrogation team that interrogated Abu Zubaydah. And then later on, uh, after he shut down um, and they decided to ramp up the pressure, uh, they asked me if I would I would uh, help them with that as well, and I reluctantly agreed to do that.
3: Okay. Uh, reluctantly because you weren't sure where it would go, any particular reason for your reluctance?
2: Well, I, I mean, I, I became convinced that they were going to use very harsh physical measures against uh, Abu Zubaydah uh, and ha- haven't spent as much time as I had spent in the Air Force SEERS program and then working with an Air Force Special, special Mission unit that had specialized survival training. I knew that if you didn't control that stuff very carefully, uh it could it could get out of hand. And uh they assured me that it, uh, they were going to run everything by the justice department. There'd be physicians there, you know, psychologists there and and uh and then I ultimately had to do a little moral calculus, you know. I had to decide right. um uh, whether the temporary discomfort of a handful of uh terrorists uh who were trying to destroy our life, somehow outweighed my moral obligation to try to save hundreds of lives. And in the end, I know people can disagree with it, and they do, but in the end, I decided uh, my obligation was to the American people and not to some terrorist.
3: But I, um, I had the impression, the liberal press, that all enhanced interrogation was, was brutal, violent, nasty physical techniques that um, the sadists and the CIA used to brutalize these poor, innocent people. Well,
2: I'm not surprised you think that. If you read Feinstein's report, you know the the problem with that kind of thinking is you know she she spent five years and forty million dollars and didn't interview me or one CIA director or one doctor or one guard or one anal, intel analyst or one CIA official or one targeter or anyone who had anything at all to do with that program. So they just uh, the CIA pushed back and said all they did was cherry pick documents and and uh, uh and uh, not give them credit for attacks that the program had actually stopped and uh and so did the uh, uh Republican members of the Senate uh, Select Committee on Intelligence uh, they basically withdrew from it because they recognized recognized that it was a kangaroo court right. and they published a quite lengthy uh rebuttal that examined precisely 17 different attacks that that thing stopped, including the second wave of attacks that was supposed to hit the West Coast.
3: Let's talk about that, because when you interviewed uh, uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, uh, a lot of interesting things came out of that, and I thought that was actually the best part of your book, the one I uh, learned the most from. Um, They had a second wave of attacks planned, but they didn't anticipate what George W. Bush would react. Tell us about that.
2: Well, first I have to put it in context. You know, sure. uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed only had three weeks of enhanced interrogation, and then another 270 weeks of cooperating more or less with the government. Uh, he didn't tell us everything, but he told us a lot. And a, a year or so after that, I uh, and my uh, and Dr. Justin stopped in uh, and asked him, like you would a kid who had had a frat party at your house, what were you thinking? You know, what what were you thinking when you knocked down those buildings? And and he said, well, first off, we were shocked when the buildings fell. We were shocked, and we thought it was a sign from Allah and that the jihadists would rise up and attack America. It was a sign that we were going to prevail. He said, but then how was I supposed to know that cowboy George Bush would invade and say he wanted us dead or alive and come after us? And then he went on to say – that if George Bush had treated it like a law enforcement matter, if he had turned it over to the FBI, then he would have had time to get off that second wave of attacks. Because he already had uh, 17 Asian men, because they knew Arabs couldn't travel, who were training as muscle to control the passengers so, that, uh, so the passengers wouldn't be able to overwhelm And trailing as pilots so that they would be able to fly the planes into the buildings in L.A., Seattle, Seattle?
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. in, Seattle, right. Uh,
2: Chicago. And uh, th- he said that. I said, well, so what were you thinking? And he said, well, uh, we were thinking you'd do what all the other previous presidents had done. You know, mm-hmm. they did the attack in Beirut, and Reagan turned tail and run. We did the attack in 1998 on two of your embassies, Al Qaeda did. And uh, Clinton essentially did nothing, turned it over to the FBI, and there were no real consequences for al-Qaeda. And then they had done the attack on the USS Cole in 2000, and again, it was turned over to the FBI. And there were years, years, right. you know, with no consequences.
3: Um, he also talked about, uh, as you uh, interviewed him, he talked about their their, their vision, how Islamists, uh, the radical Islamists, look at what they're doing in terms of Allah's will, and what their ultimate plans are, and that was perhaps one of the most revealing parts of the book to me because I believe these things, and it just reinforced them coming from KSM. What did he talk about their ultimate plans and what they're really up to?
2: Well, they want to impose Sharia law on the whole world. And, and he said that uh, you know, al-Qaeda dreams of doing that with big catastrophic attacks because al-Qaeda thinks you first have to cut the head off the snake, which is what he tried to do uh, on 9-11. Mm-hmm. But that really the practical way to do it was through immigration and by outbreeding non-Muslims. He said that like-minded jihadists would immigrate into Western democracies and into the United States, wrap themselves in our civil liberties for protection, uh, feed themselves off our welfare system while they spread the jihadi message and then when the time is right rise up and attack from within under the full protection of our civil rights
3: wow like we're seeing it how un- uh, unfold before us Right. In Europe Western is, Europe, for sure.
2: Yeah, Europe is in, a, uh, is in a bit of a more difficult situation than we are because right. they've had more sort of unregulated immigration from those uh, states, uh, countries uh, that are exporting jihadi-aged men. But the mm-hmm. United States is at risk of doing that if we had continued right. because the problem is political correctness. Uh, I had I had not really talked to him about political correctness per se as a theme, but one of the things that he made clear to me in my conversations with him is that he views America's civil liberties and the emphasis on individual freedom as a kind of political correctness that allows groups who are ratcheting up Sharia law inside of the United States to operate in the open without being challenged.
3: That's right. We're talking to Dr. James Mitchell. He is the author of Enhanced Interrogation, Inside the Minds and Motives of the Islamic Terrorists Trying to Destroy America, just out, what, about two months ago, Jim?
2: It came out at the end of November.
3: End of November. So it's been out roughly a month, and I've read it. Uh, I think you should read it, too. I think it will clearly show you what the war on radical Islamic terror is all about, the motive of our enemies and what's going on. And as you read it, you're going to shake your head yes a lot as you see what these people talked about. Was there anyone besides KSM that you interrogated that Gave any indication that they shared these goals, that they believed in these policies, that they saw it coming out the same way that KSM saw it come out?
2: Yeah, well, I talked off and on with. I only dealt with the toughest ones, the, right. the thirteen or fourteen senior guys, and I talked with Abu Zubaydah too. Abu Zubaydah told me that the uh, he was a senior facilitator that ran a training camp that provided terrorists uh, for uh, for Al Qaeda, and mm-hmm. he uh, forged passports for him, raised money for him, did that sort of stuff, just to put some context on who he was. Uh, in addition, he had his own terror group. But uh, and gave $10,000 to al-Qaeda to use for the 9-11 attacks. So he, you know what he told me was, you don't understand. In Allah's timeline, the United States has already fallen. The, uni- the whole world is under Sharia law, and I am just a Mujahideen in a long line of Mujahideens that reach back to Muhammad, and when I fall, another Mujahideen will rise up. So it's inevitable that it's going to happen because we're not going to stop.
3: Right. They're not going to stop. We're going to tire out before they stop the way they see it. We'll get tired and quit before they do.
2: Yeah. He said the target is not our military because they can't defeat our military. The target is America's minds. It's the mind of the American people who, if they do these terror attacks, like these lone wolf attacks, and they do other Mm -hmm. other kind of attacks, eventually America will become so disheartened and our press will – paint the uh, war against Islam as uh, uh, improper impossible to win uh, something that we shouldn't be doing as Americans uh, going against our code and then he, he said to me he said eventually America will exp- uh, eventually America will exp- expose her neck for us to slaughter
3: the book is enhanced interrogation written by dr. James Mitchell a former psychologist on a contract with the CIA who uh, helped develop the enhanced interrogation techniques used by the bush administration after 9-11 i think it's a must read book it's one to pick up if you didn't get a book you want it for christmas if you got a gift certificate get it now and read it and you'll understand where we are what's going on it'll it'll help you conceive and understand the world the way it is now it's happening now because so much of it is prophetic and so much of it is real and jim i want to thank you for for being with us today And I thank you for writing this book, because I think it's going to do more to enlighten people about what's really at stake and how we're fighting, how we're not fighting, how we have to fight, than anything else anybody could have done. I thank you for your service to our country as well. I'm glad you overcame your reluctance. I understand the reluctance. I'm glad you overcame it, because you were doing the Lord's work.
2: Thank you, sir. I appreciate the kind words.
3: You bet. Thank you very much. I hope we get a chance to talk again. You have a great day. Have a happy new year.